Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio's Trundle Bed Tales. Tonight we're going to be talking Making Hay with Rob Utah. But before we get to him, we've got a little housekeeping to do. And I just want to uh, first give a shout out to everybody in the chat room. I'm very glad that uh, we're able to actually have it open this time. We were having trouble last week, but we got it open tonight and got some people in the chat room. I'm glad to see, and I hope that you'll be speaking up during the program. If anybody would like to enter the chat room, you can just go right to the website uh, for Blog Talk Radio dot com slash trundlebed tales and you can join in the chat by signing in either as a guest or with your Twitter ID or Facebook or at with an actual blog talk radio ID. You can also if you're on the go next time that we got an episode, you can call in at one seven one four two four two five two five three. 714-242-5253 or toll-free 1-877-633-9389. Toll-free 1-877-633-9389. And I just had to buy another 500 uh, minutes for the toll-free number, so feel free to use those. We're all stocked up. I like to give a heads-up on the upcoming episodes. I don't have any, the next one scheduled yet, though sometime in the next two weeks you can check the Trundle Bed Tales radio page on both my blog and my website. I'm going to be interviewing some people from TrekFest and for the second episode of Travel Times. Then um, probably on the 11th I'm going to be doing a sort of on-the-spot report from Independence and I'll be doing another one of those later in the month from Baroque about around the 25th. Now, it isn't, uh, they're, they're not going to be very long because they're going to be kind of on-the-spot reports, but I hope that you enjoy them. And I think that is about it for housekeeping. So we're going to turn to our guest tonight, and our topic was inspired uh, by a conversation that I had on one of the Laura List servers a few years ago. There was a, a woman who wrote in because she thought she'd found a continuity error in the Little House books because they were making hay in June in one of the books and they made hay in August in the previous books. And after explaining a little bit about hay, she understood why it really wasn't a continuity error. But between that and the kind of general misinformation that everybody on Frontier House showed, I thought, you know, maybe people would get a little bit more out of the books if they 
learned a little bit about making hay. So I turned to the person who knows the most about hay that I know, who is very proud of the hay he makes. He's brilliant at it. Uh, everybody loves to get his hay. And he also is uh, has previously been a historical interpreter at Usher's Ferry for a number of years, makes it a habit to talk to old farmers, and uh, is also an engineer, so he understands how equipment works. So in short, I couldn't think of anybody else that would be better to talk about making hay than my brother, Rob Utah. Welcome to the show, Rob. Hi, Sarah. How are you doing? Just great, and I appreciate you coming on tonight. Well, glad to have you. Or you have me. <laughs> well, uh, let's just kind of jump in here. What exactly is hay? Hay is basically a dried food to, for the animals so they can eat in the middle of the winter. Uh, basically, it's grass, timothy, alfalfa, clover, different forms of nourishment for them. And why is drying hay an important part of the process? Well, if you don't dry hay, it has a nasty habit of molding, which can make the animals get sick, or allow them to get sick, I should say, because it does bad things to their digestive system. And it can it can actually, yeah. if it starts to mold, it start can do something else, right? It starts to heat, which you know, especially when they were stacking loose hay in the barns and even baled hay in the barns. If it heats too much, it can cause it to get to the point where it will combust, and it causes a fire, and it's very hard to get out even with the modern equipment they have today. Well, uh, there was in one of the books, well, in well, in real life too, when they were in Smet, Laura and Manley's barn burned down with their year's hay supply inside. Could that have been caused by this kind of spontaneous combustion from the mold? Yeah, it could also have been caused by poor ventilation because if the air doesn't circulate properly, then it can cause the hot spots to develop in the hay as it's curing, allowing it to get to that point. And one of the reasons that they uh, have uh, cupolas in the barn is partly because of that, right? Yeah, that allowed for ventilation to occur through the barn. Uh, it, it was a large open area that prevented rain from blowing in, but a little lot of air circulate through the barn and out through the top of it. Especially as the air got warmer, it would rise and exit through the top of the barn. So if um, you're having hay and you cut it in the field, you actually let it dry in the field for a while, right? Yeah, uh, depending on the process you're using. Uh, originally, you'd cut it with just a straight sickle, which you'd have to, was very labor-intensive because you'd have to swing and cut it as they showed on the frontier house. And then you have to stack it and manually load it. But so that, you, uh, that's sort of like the thing that the Grim Reaper uses, right? The side? Yeah, this is correct. Uh, and that, like I said, that was a very manual, labor-intensive form of cutting hay. And then they progressed from there to what was called a sickle mower, which how that worked was it was a flat bar with a lot of teeth on it that would slide back and forth, cutting the hay off as it, the bar slid back and forth with the teeth. 
and, and while teeth, you fall behind it. The teeth were shaped like triangles, right? Kind of like shark's teeth? Correct. Okay, so you got a whole, whole bar of shark's teeth on rotating things that go Well, they weren't rotating. Are you there? All right, then you were going... And then you were going on to... You're starting to break up. Um, but anyhow, after the sycamore was developed, then they, came, hand, right? they also came up with another device called uh, a sycamore con- uh, conditioner that you would pull behind the sycamore, and that would actually crimp the hay, breaking the stems a lot more, allowing more air to get into it, other than just where you'd cut it, that let it dry a lot quicker. And then, uh, later on, they combined both devices into a sycamore conditioner. And along the way, they actually also made a thing called a uh, cut conditioner, which actually cut the hay into short strips instead of just crimping it, breaking the stems, allowing it to dry more quickly. And then after that, they've uh, within the last 10, 15 years, they came out with a device called a... Um, a mower, it's a, well, John Deere calls them a MoCo. Uh, basically what it is, it's a lot, bunch of lawnmower blades mounted in front of one of those crimper devices, and it uses that to cut hay. So that way, if it's down and tangled, it doesn't block, plug up your sickle bar as much. So air is really an important ingredient in getting good hay. Correct. If it's when you, after you cut it, if it lays flat and it can't get air, it takes a long time for it to dry. Where if you have it very fluffy, which is another thing the conditioners do, they allow the air to be, they allow the hay to be fluffy to allow more air into it, so that way they can dry quicker. So, how many days does hay have to be on the ground before you come and uh, and can? either bale it or if you were uh, in using the older method pick it up and put it on the cart uh, well for as far as baling going if you were mowing it with a straight sickle mower typically uh, if it was a grass and brome type of hay or just a strictly you know, long grass type of hay you could do it in three days unless you had really high, really high temperatures with low humidity uh, if it was red clover Typically, and really thick, it'd be could be up to four days, um, sometimes even five, especially if there's a little bit of moisture in the ground, where it can because the red clover, especially, has a nasty habit of pulling moisture from the ground in the air, so it takes a lot longer for that to dry at times. Uh, alfalfa is uh, you can normally do in three to four days, depending on whether how thick it is and and, of course, the weather conditions. And if you're round baling it versus square baling it, you can normally bale a little bit tougher, a little bit more damp, more higher moisture content than you can with a square baler, a small square baler, because it doesn't breathe as easily. It's more likely to mold. Now, one of the things that they a lot of times talk about in the books is making hay while the sun shines, and it's because you have to have these, these drying days in a row. If you get a rainstorm in the middle somehow, is the hay just lost? Uh, it depends on how much rain you get and how green the hay is when it gets rained on. 
Uh, if it's very green, then it's normally not too much of an issue uh, because it doesn't, of course, it's just already wet, so it doesn't, the moisture really doesn't, it doesn't help it, but it doesn't hurt it near as much as if it was dry and ready to go and then it gets rained on because a lot of times that will actually start to break down the hay and make it more like mulch. Of course, some of the other things that have advanced is they use a chemical, um, which I don't use, so I'm not quite sure which what chemical they use now, but they, uh, they, a lot of guys will treat their hay with this chemical, and it's a preservative, so that way they can bale the hay even with higher moisture content, and it prevents it from molding. So are there different kinds of hay? Um yeah, there's uh, grass, straight grass, uh, and there's you know grass type hay. There's loom, legume type hay, where you got red clover. Uh, there's alfalfa hay. Uh, there's a lot of different types depending on what you're baling. I mean, people they used to bale even soybeans and rice and different things for hay if they needed to for a cover crop. So, like Pa would make the slough grass for hay. Yep. That's another type of grass, eh? but yeah. So when, if if you've got a domestic planted type of hay, when is the best time to cut it? Is there a certain time that's better than others? Um, yes and no. Uh, normally, you end up cutting, depending on what type of animal you're cutting it for, uh, if you're cutting for, say, dairy animals, a lot of times you'll end up cutting your hay really early. A lot of the alfalfa, they, dairy farmers like to feed alfalfa, and they normally cut that before it gets to full bloom or before it even starts to bloom, so they can end up getting a little extra cutting in it. Um, it's a little more tender. They feel it's a little better for the animals. A lot of guys do. Um if you're doing cattle or horses, uh, some guys prefer it a little bit on the premature side before it starts to bloom, and other guys, they don't mind if it's, you know, if it's more mature plant. What time of year do you make hay? Uh, depending on where you're at, you can start as early as the middle of April, depending on, you know, of course, how warm the year is, how dry it is, how wet. And sometimes you end up in first of June. Uh, how many times during a year can you make hay on a single field? I mean, it isn't just the the once in June, right? Uh, depends on where you're at again. Uh, if you're out in the desert areas like South Dakota, Colorado, uh, Montana, a lot of those guys only get one cutting a year because it's so dry. The grass just it grows to maturity to cut it and goes dormant because there's no moisture. In Iowa, Nebraska, Illinois, that kind of area, a lot of times you can get up to four cuttings in a year if you can get started actually in May. Uh, and if the weather holds off, and you can actually bail all the way into October. If you live up in the Minnesota area, you're two, three cuttings of hay, depending on if you got a good year or not and how far up in Minnesota you are. Which explains what was confusing the person on the list, sir. That when Laura said they made hay in June and made hay in August, she was right that they just made hay more than once during the year. 
It was different cuttings. It had been like first cutting or second cutting, third cutting. And uh, it's really um, a, a advantage uh, to. I mean, the first cutting is usually the best, right? Uh, depends again on what you're feeding it to. Uh, a lot of guys, when they used to really work their horses hard, used to think uh, first cutting with Timothy and Roman it was good for their horses. Uh, more guys today like to feed, you know, second cutting alfalfa, third cutting alfalfa, because it's got a higher, higher, it's got a higher uh, food content to it. It's it's more rich, and they don't have to feed as much of it. Well, but you have to be more careful because the horses, a lot of times, will, plot, will you know, they'll get sick on it if they eat too much of it. Because it's like eating a rich cake. Basically. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and the other thing that I think a lot of people have seen about making hay was on Frontier House when the rich dad insisted that he knew there was this other field of hay and he was going to cut it uh, all along and it was really dried out and yellow. Was he doing any good when he was cutting that? Uh, it was. It was there was probably a little bit of nourishment in it, but normally by the time it gets to that point, there's not a lot left to it. It's more of a filler, so you're feeding it to the animals to keep their stomachs full. So there's not a lot of the nutritional value left to it at that point. So we've gotten this the hay cut and we leave it on the ground depending on conditions, and then. We pick it up. Now, back in Laura's time, they uh, picked up the loose hay, right? Yeah. They would have most likely picked it up in, in loose stacks. They'd use the dump rake, which was a device that you pulled the pulled it across the field and it pulled the loose hay in the big piles. And then you'd have another device called a hay loader that would attach to the back of the hay rack and the team of horses would back the hay rack into it pushing this device, and then it would take the hay from the ground and work it up and dump it on top of the hay rack where guys would level it out across. So when they'd pull it to the barn and pull it up to the hay fork, it would uh, pull up nicely, and then that way it would actually go across the barn without having big clumps and stuff. Because the guys took a lot of pride in how smooth their hay mounds were and how well the hay was packed into it. Because the better they pack the hay, the better they can it. Now, before, uh, Pa didn't really have a hay barn within the run of the series. He stored his hay in stacks. What was the point of that? Besides making uh, a fun place for girls to roll down. Well, if you don't have, uh, if you don't have a dry space to keep your hay in, uh, inside, and then you would stack it outside so it would shed water, and you would end up losing some of the hay to rain anyhow, but you would lose a lot less of it having in a stack that would shed water versus having it just all laying out flat. And uh, and uh, before we go on with the process of picking up hay, we did have a question in the chat room, and they wanted to know approximately how high is hay when it's ready to cut? Uh, again, it depends on the on the type of hay you're cutting and 
you know, the condition of the field. Because if the field's in good shape and it's fresh seeding and stuff, you can get hay that's easily four foot high, five foot high. If it's older seeding, the hay, you know, the ground is needs fertilizer and whatnot. You can get a lot of times you'll see you know, only three foot hay for first cutting. Second, you know, it typically gets shorter and shorter to go, 16, 18 inches. It depend, you know, depending on again what you're cutting, whether it's grass, whether it's clover, or it's alfalfa, because alfalfa and clover can sometimes again get as high as two, two and a half foot for second cutting and third. So. And the longer the the hay, the better it stacks. I've heard. Uh, the better it it will. If you're round baling it, the better it holds together. If you're square baling it, the better it will form a bale. Because if you have short hay, it doesn't, as you pack it, there's nothing really to hold it together. Because it's so short, it can't interlock very well. Okay. Uh, so, all right, we have the loose hay, the, the kind of uh, wagon that was kind of an open framework that, that Laura describes in the books using herself and, and that she sees Almanzo riding on when she first meets him. And we've gotten it up to the barn. Now, if you have a hay barn, now, uh, early on in the Midwest, you don't actually see a lot of barns. You see a lot of smaller sheds because it really didn't make it pay until they could start uh, having uh, storing large amounts of hay. And part of it was through the device that Robbie mentioned before, which was called a hay fork. So, uh, oh, and also I wanted to make sure and mention that if you go to the Laura Ingalls Wilder Museum in Walnut Grove, they have a number of these on display in the um, in the Heritage Lane area. So do you want to explain how that works? You've pulled up the loose hay wagon right under the side the of the barn. The end of the barn. Mm-hmm. Normally there was, a, there was on most barns that were set up for having hay in them, there was... Uh, the ed- one edge of the barn roof would normally stick out a little bit for a little ways more than the rest and that's where the track was mounted That this car that had this big hook on it would be mounted and this hook would would be pulled up by a team of horses and pulled back by an operator that had a rope that was called a trip rope the trip rope was used to release the hay after it got to a certain point in the barn and that what would happen is you'd, he'd pull the, ho- the hook to the front of the barn when get to the end of the track, there was a release lever, and it would release this pulley, which would drop this hook down, and it would open up, and it would stick into the sides of this loose hay mound on your hay rack. And then the horses would start pulling it back, and it would close the hooks and grab it, much like a claw game that you've seen in, in arcades. They'll pull it up to the top, and then it would catch in a lock, and it would start pulling it inside the barn. And normally there'd be guys inside the barn yelling to the trip operator, trip rope operator, how far in he needed to let the hay go before he released it so they could smooth it out inside the mound. Now, so, uh, so that would be left go. There'd be usually the space like in the older barns, they'd have a threshing floor, and that would be one level, and then there'd be sort of like a balcony without any... Uh, railing around it, that that would be the the mow, but they could stack hay pretty much to the rafters, couldn't they? Uh, yes, for the most part, if they had enough guys that were inside to keep up with the hay coming in. 
so make sure that it actually got in. So that was really a wonderful invention and really made possible having hay. But uh, then a, a little later, they developed a different system with a baler, and uh, starting with the square balers. So um, <laughs> describe what a square bale looks like. A uh, square bale is normally a rectangular load of hay from or cube of hay that's anything from 16 by four, 14 by 16 by up to 42 inches long, typically. Oh, and then you can actually get balers that will make them that are 16 by 18, I believe, up to the 42 inches long. And it's basically just, if you look at them, they're like a cube, and just whether or not, or, you know, like a rectangle, it's just how long you make them that way. Uh, the original ones were a stationary setup. They were powered by horses. And they had a lot of guys. It was very intensive because guys have to feed hay into it. They'd have to know how long it was, and they'd put wood spacers in to separate the hay. So the guys could wire tie it where they needed to have the appropriate length of hay. And then after oh, that, they started... Just uh, which break in a second before we get away from baling wire. I just want to mention that there is a common uh, expression in the Midwest about farmers that they can fix anything with a little baling wire and spit, and that's where it came from. Baling wire was a very thin, flexible wire that they could use uh, for baling and then for a whole bunch of other purposes after it came off the bales. Though it would do the cows absolutely no good if they ate it. In fact, uh, we've lost cows to eating chunks of wire. So you had to be very careful to get it out again. Okay, go on. Uh, and from there, then they started to progress to self-powered uh, pull-type balers that had an engine on them that would run the plunger, and then they would be pulled by a tractor. And then they were, those were the very early ones still had guys riding on the back of the baler, wire-tying them. And then as they got more and more progressed in mechanical development, they would eventually get to the point where they had uh, devices called knotters where it could tie the wire or the twine itself, and you could set the machine to make a bale a certain length, and it would always make it that length. And then eventually they got away from having a stationary engine on the baler to having it run off the tractor so you had one less engine to take care of. And what? now they've gone... Uh, later on, they started going to round bales. Alice Chalmer made a little roto baler. It would make bales about 16 inches in diameter by two and a half, three feet long. And they were nice because you could bale them and leave. Like how our uncle used to use it, he would go out, our great uncle, he would go out and bale forth cutting, and he would leave them out in the field. And then once winter came along, he would turn his cows in, and they could go out and eat the hay, and it didn't get spoiled because it was tied with twine. And they'd go and lick it all up, and they'd dig into the snow and find it, and normally eat one bale at a time, and that way he never had to touch it. Then with, um, after that, they started to work towards making farming less labor-intensive, so they started making large round bales, so that way it would be a lot easier uh, to move the hay, because then the tractor could do all the lifting and you wouldn't have to stop and tie as much and so they make bales anything from four and a half four foot by four foot to 
by five foot by four are all the way up to eight foot by six foot bales. So, now people for a while uh, kept using the hay forks with the square bales. Was there a, a problem with that when they started to put the, the hay stacked um, bales up in the hay mouse? I. Uh, well, they started running issues because uh, you can't. You can grab eight bales with a with a traditional hay fork, but it's a lot harder to do it, and you end up them wanting to break a lot more easily. So they came up with a a flat hay a hay hook or hay hook for actually picking up eight square bales at a time flat, so they're less likely to get broke. Uh, and the and the weight also caused trouble in the the barns, right? Because the, you can get more weight in the packed square bales than you could in the loose hay. Correct. Okay. Well, um, I told you that we would have more than enough time to talk about, and that we should have done an hour, but we are coming up close on to the end of our time. I did want to uh, just briefly mention today. They still make uh, square bales. Those are used primarily people, wouldn't you say, with, with like acreages for like if they have a few sheep or horses or, you know, or wanting mulch or something like that. That's mostly how the square bales are used today, right? Uh, yeah, normally for smaller operations where a person has one horse, two horse, or you know, three or four sheep, that kind of thing. Uh, the, then you see a lot of big round bales, which are getting bigger all the time. These were originally wrapped with plastic, then with hemp, and now there's like a giant garbage bag over them. And if you're driving out like to South Dakota, you will see like two-story stacks of them in the fields, and those are semi-trailer loads. They have a machine that kind of automatically loads it into the semi, and then they're going off to be sold to go someplace else. Uh, You'll see a lot of hay in the fields as you're taking a Laura trip, so I hope this will help explain both what you're seeing when you're driving around on the Laura trip and what you see for the references in the books about making hay. I want to really thank you for uh, coming on tonight, Robbie, and I hope that I can get you to come on again because there was a lot of stuff we didn't get to. All right. Well... Thanks for having me. Well, thank you. And good night.